you're listening to Of Sights and Men. A Daily Magician production. Well, hello and welcome back to Of Sights and Men. Today we're back with another Deep Dives with Danny Goldsmith, where we pick apart some sort of subject in magic. There's no real, like, this is Danny introduction sort of thing. Um, it's just going to be us discussing magic, um, just being as candid as possible. Uh, and for, of course, we do have a topic. It's not going to just be just rambling. Um, and if you don't know who Danny is, just to give you a quick reminder, in my estimation, um, he's one of the, or he is the greatest um, coin magic performer alive right now. He's produced some amazing projects that have taken the magic world by storm. Um, he runs an email list. He has a website. <laughs> he has all of that good stuff, a membership. Um, and he knows a lot about performing. He's been performing for, I don't know, over 10 years professionally. Not so much anymore since you've gone to producing. 20. 20. There we go. Even better. So, performing almost as long as I've been alive. <laughs> so that's why we have him on the podcast to give us some, uh, some real insights. Um, so yeah, as far as topic for today, we actually just wanted to, we, we've been talking about it and we thought it'd be a cool thing to just actually go through each of Danny's projects that he's produced. Um, obviously, we know that they've been successful, done thousands of sales, maybe even reaching tens of thousands of sales. So a lot of people know about them. Um, are, are aware of the magic that you produce. Um, but we thought it'd be interesting to just kind of talk about the creative process for creating a successful coin magic project um, and kind of what goes into it, your thoughts behind it. And obviously this is kind of, it's kind of a big deal as well that you've created so many successful coin magic projects. Because um, I guess if you had to name big coin magic projects, the only thing that really comes to mind for me is um, like a lot of Eric Jones work as far as like actual like courses and stuff that I've bought into and a bit of Copeland coin stuff as well. But for the main, I've learned pretty much all of my coin magic through you. <laughs> so I guess it's, it's definitely a unique thing. It's like a lot of people have created successful card magic courses, but I think it takes a specific eye to actually get people to buy into coin magic. Anyway, really long intro. <laughs> um, I guess that'll be my first question, Danny. What do you think what do you think makes a successful coin magic project just overall? Oh man, that's that feels like a big question. Um, well, I can speak about for me what I was I was looking for in coin magic. I felt like a lot of coin magic was a lot of coin juggling, and nothing wrong with that. I think that can be um, super fun, honestly, when you learn just like a bunch of really neat moves, and sometimes that in itself makes for a great project if those moves are really original and innovative and allow you to do new things and give you more fuel for building good routines which leads me into what was the biggest piece for me which was that so much coin magic was kind of just the moves like yeah it's a routine you'd have a three fly hey look watch we'll make the next one go across etc but it was very much narrated Look, if I make the coin vanish over here, it appears over here. If I do this, it does that. And it's as if the spectator doesn't have eyes of their own. Um, they can see, you know, so it's it's just filler. Your, your words don't mean anything. And that's not how I wanted my coin magic to be. I wanted to create presentations that 
allowed the audience to connect in a deeper way to what they were seeing because it's a sense perception that's part of this experience their ears that can be included in this in many ways mm -hmm. not just through presentation but also you know sound manipulation and magic which is a passion of mine as well but overall i felt like coin magic a good coin project has that quality of good presentation within it or if it is very move based it has moves that are innovative and accomplish new things in new impossible ways sometimes there's just a new variation on, a, on an old thing and it might not even look very natural or properly motivated and that's a that's another piece for me in magic is especially coin magic what was one of my biggest inspirations for getting into coin magic was i felt so many moves did not look natural this mm. you know even just the first finger knuckle pop of that would occur when somebody would put a coin in the other hand doing a retention vanish even david roth himself and as i go that someone's got to fix that that's not that doesn't your first mm. finger doesn't need to pop up when you place a coin in the other hand that wouldn't naturally happen so there's a lot of unnecessary movements in coin magic or things that were not properly motivated actions that are done that didn't really make sense in the context of the situation and these things build so much suspicion in the spectator's mind and over rationalizing about the method because well what else are they left to think about other than you know what they're seeing because you're not giving them anything else to think about you're not giving them a story a presentation you're not making your magic as effortless and natural looking as possible to let them just relax into it there's these these awkward moments these uh points of you know unnaturalness no proper motivation or narrating to them as if as if they don't have uh, eyes of their own um that it's just missing a big piece of the connection between the magician and the spectator. And uh, so I feel like with cards, um, the presentation is often built in. Like you can think of Triumph, for example. You know, you find order amongst chaos. You know, it's, it's almost just presentations just written by the action itself. But with coins, everything's vanished in production, really. Um, right? If you pull a coin through your hand, you just vanished it in the palm of your hand and produced it out the back of your hand. So it's necessary to have good presentation. It's necessary to give it story, to give it life. So it has a more quality of variety in the minds of the spectator. So that's my long-winded answer. <laughs> so would you say, like to summarize, if I may, um, like a lot of what you think makes a good coin magic project is almost like identifying areas that need that that you can fix essentially <laughs> like for instance i guess what comes to mind is like for instance like the pistol pass was like you going at the kind of like looking at like the muscle pass right and thinking okay this is where it's used a lot in coin magic but here's all these things that are unexplored right where okay maybe this doesn't have proper motivation Maybe it's not shooting the right way. Maybe there's like an unnecessary movement on the hand, right? And you've right. gone in, you've looked at all of those different factors like you were talking about, all of these different ways that you approach coin magic and you've taken an area of coin magic, produced like an original 
move <laughs> and then kind of fixed all of the issues you've seen with that particular area of coin magic. Would you say that that's kind yeah. of like a system? Yeah, it's I a think that's a very succinct way to say it. It's, it's offering something new, right? Something innovative, whether it be through these realms of proper motivation, naturalness, presentation, et cetera, but, or, or even just like a new plot, you know? Um, one of my first like big projects that's on my site was uh, Silversmith that I uh, filmed with the Illusionist, and they flew me out to Nepal. And we filmed Silversmith and Voyage uh, while I was out in Nepal. And they, they said they'd fly me anywhere I wanted to go. Nepal was where I wanted to go. I did a few days of filming these routines I created. And then for another two weeks, I just traveled around and uh, went on a pilgrimage and visit all the Buddhist sites. And uh, it, was, it was just perfect for me. And those two projects had a lot of things that were not super presentation heavy. Those were really around some moves at first. And you could kind of see that in my, the progression of my projects and getting more into presentation along the way. But like Silversmith had coin cuffs, right? It's crazy man's handcuffs with coins. And at the time that had never been done. So I was like, oh, this is something new. It's innovative. It's, it's, it's a project that's not the same old thing, right? how to do crazy man's handcuffs with coins. And at the time, it had never been done. This was the first. Um, a magician by the name of Rawl put out a project called Emerald. I believe it was on Emerald, where he had his own version after um, after seeing mine. And it's been so fun seeing some more variations of this concept kind of come about through that. So that just felt like an example of, you know, I've seen people take this idea and run with it. And it's it's nice to see that kind of growth occur through offering something new to kind of spark or inspire other magicians. That project also had some, um, some other really, really fun routines. I had Charmed, which was a coin and ring routine that had some, some new moves and some kind of fresh ideas on how I thought it would really look if you were to really reach in with your fingers and pull a coin out of a ring. Um, so that was that was a routine I had a lot of fun with. And then there's, let's see, there's Charmed, there's Coin Cuffs, there's, oh man, they're not coming right. Uh... <laughs> oh, there's Atomic Orbing Coins. That actually was very presentational heavy but it also solved some of the issues that I'd seen with kind of a hard bottles, pendulum hanging coins, or not so much issues, well, a little bit solving issues, but also taking a step further. So a lot of these were kind of built around, you know, how can I take this further? Oh, the last one is called Split and Splice, where I take a silver dollar, split it into half dollars, piece it back together, it becomes dollar again. And that, you know, is also, just a bunch of original moves. So this whole project, Silversmith, is just completely original moves that have never been done before. And that I feel like can give fuel in a way that people can take these individual moves and do something with. So it innovates in some way. Uh, Voyage was like an exploration and sound manipulation with coins. And this is one of my biggest passions because, you know, magic's so focused around the eyes, but a human has far more to their perception of reality than just their visual field and being able to manipulate sound, especially when you're using something that makes such a nice sound 
you know, that, why shouldn't that come into play? And I think there's immense power in being able to shake your hand, make it sound like there's coins there, and open the hand for them not to be there. So I came up with a impromptu coin rattle where the hands don't move. And that had never existed before other than um, a version that Eric Jones came up with in, I think, a project, uh, routine called Mirage et Toi. Um, or no, it's not Mirage et Toi. It was the three fly, simplex three fly, I think, that was in the project Mirage et Toi. Um, but his hand moves to make the sound. He just kind of covers the movement with the other hand. I wanted there to be no movement of the hands except for the hand that's shaking and sound comes from that hand, yet there's no coins there. There's so much power in this. When you do a retention vanish and you, the spectator can see the coin, the hands come together and the hands come away. The last time they saw that coin was when the hands were together, right? So of course, when you open that hand and it's gone, they go, oh, it's in the other hand. That's why we need time misdirection. You need enough time to separate that move so that they can feel like the coin is there and they could forget that that transition from one hand to the other. That's the importance of time misdirection. But another strength is, or the goal would be, how can I show that the coin is still in the hand while the hands are separated, even though it's not in the hand, right? And to be able to shake that hand, and have sound occur, you know, when there's nothing in there with the hand separated is a way to do that. So sound manipulation, not being isolated to a specific point within space due to the, the brain's, uh, well, the human brain's inability to track very precise locations of sound very well, um, gives us this really powerful manipulative tool and uh, voyage. That project is really focused around a lot of sound manipulation. There was, I mean, there's three routines in there. Um, but in general, they're, they're very, they're all very, very uh, sound manipulation focused. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess when it comes to like, okay, so we talked about like, I guess we touched on pistol pass, but we were talking about, I guess more like um, Voyage and Silversmith, right? Hmm. Right? If I'm speaking correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm gonna... Yeah, I, I'm interested to know like, when it comes to creating, so it sounds like a lot of this is inspired by like an idea, right? It sounds like for um, for Voyage, you were thinking about this idea of sound manipulation and then for Silversmith, obviously you went on your kind of pilgrimage and that was what inspired a lot of, or at least the presentation of a lot of those um, effects and routines. Like, can you just talk me through the process? Because I think a lot of people find it hard to understand, especially in coin magic where it's like, like you were saying, right? To a lot of people, it's literally just like vanishes and productions. Like, how could you come up with something like new? Do you know what I mean? But it sounds to me like, at least from what I'm listening to, it sounds like it's a combination of like original thought, but also the ability to put two things together that haven't been put together before. Like you were saying with sound manipulation plus coin magic, or in, in the case of like, you know, the, the crazy man coin cut, the crazy man's cuffs, but with coins, right? Like, I guess, can you, is there a way you can think about like how this actually comes to pass? <laughs> like how you actually, would, would you give a method 
for behind your originality or is it more just yeah. kind of like a, an overall mindset yeah well there is a mindset that's important and that's uh backed by neuroscience they've actually looked at people who are very creative mm -hmm. and what stimulates that creativity and the balances between serotonin and dopamine in the brain and there's ways to directly stimulate that um, i actually teach that in great detail in mythos um, but in terms of moves, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's what they say, right? And that's been my experience as well of that. I look at what's needed, you know, and, and then that narrows the field a bit. And then you know what you're trying to create because the creative mind is free and kind of wild. You have to let go and be spontaneous. It's not always logical. Um, honestly, if it's logical, it's often not creative. It's, uh, more of a discovery, um, in the sense that it's usually not something new because if it's logical, you're taking previous knowledge and you are putting two things together to come up with something new. Well, in our field in magic, magicians come up with the same thing as, as all the time as each other. They create something mm -hmm. and then they find out, oh, this has already been done. Is because everyone's using the same building blocks and there's only so many combinations. And this is what I mean by you're more likely to make a discovery rather than something new. That's a logical process. But to understand creativity when it is kind of free and spontaneous, um, that is really important. That is, is a vast topic. So I definitely recommend checking out Mythos if you're interested in that. Um, but as for, you know, how that plays into the creative process, that type of creativity, very imaginative, free, spontaneous type of creativity is new because it's not coming from a habitual tendency of previous knowledge. It's based in more in a sense of kind of play. Um, but that needs to be reined in a bit. Otherwise, it's, it can become really discursive. So getting really clear on what you're trying to create and why you're trying to create it is, is important. If it's, oh, I just want to create something, um, but for what purpose? Oh, I don't know. Well, how can you create something purposeful if you do not have a purpose for creating it? Right? That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's important to have a reason for why we're creating. And for me, I, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, this has never been done before. Sound manipulation thing impromptu. It's only ever been done on a coin rattle. How can I make it work? You know, and then I have, I go, okay, what are the conditions I want? I want this hand not to move. Okay. How can I get coins to move without my hand moving? Right. And then I just start exploring things logically a bit. And sometimes that's very logical, but then from there, that's narrowed it quite a bit. But now I have to play around with that idea. I have to be kind of playful and explorative and try things and fail and try again and fail and um, just go through that process and just keep playing until, you know, discovery occurs. And that's often really just spontaneous. Try this, try that, you know, just very free. No, no, no method really, um, just kind of playful. Um, and this is a way to, to really create is to kind of hone in in this way. And this can come, you know, about through the 
necessity as a mother of invention of like, oh, I want to create, you know, you know, we don't have sound manipulation like this without a gimmick and coin magic. How can I create this? So, you know, create it or um, all our attention vanishes really look like the fingers flutter too much when you're simply supposed to be placing a coin in the other hand. How can I fix that? How can I come up with a method that doesn't do that? Um, so there's a lot of ways where necessity can be great. The other side of things is sometimes just imagining. Like with Split and Splice and Silversmith, I had this idea of what it would look like to hold two half dollars at the fingertips, all other fingers wide open, just first finger and thumb together on each hand, looked clean as possible, like you're just holding two half dollars and nothing else, and that you smack them together, and at that moment, they become a dollar-sized coin. That was the image I had in my mind. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to look, think of something impossible, visualize something impossible, and then go, that's not possible. But I promise you, if you think it's not possible, you are correct for your own experience. You will not accomplish it because you will never dive fully enough into something that you don't believe you can accomplish. You won't give it your full heart, your full mind, your full attentiveness, your full playfulness. You won't surrender to it because you believe already that it's a state of failure and you don't want that failure. You have to be willing to embrace failure, but you also have to be willing to embrace the idea that what you think is impossible can very well be possible. You just don't know the method yet. I actually don't even think could be possible. I usually say it is possible. I just don't know the method yet. And at times that's led me to create some things that at first I did not think were possible. Um, I, uh, I came up with a new variation of the crazy man's handcuffs with coins, uh, called coin cup, you know, the first one was called coin cups. And I, the way I envisioned that the first time, how I visualized it in my mind and how I want it to look didn't end up being what I created. And the conclusion I came to was that's not possible. I tried, I played around with it for a while and I eventually gave up and I should have never gave up. I should have said that's not possible right now. Um, which I guess in some way I did because I later came back and I created it, recreated it in the way that meets exactly how I had originally visualized it in my mind and looks so much more impossible. Um, it's slightly less practical than the current method, but I, I still, I, I'm still really happy to kind of discover it. And but that was years, many years later. So it's uh, you want to be careful with, with that. So there's so many ways of talking about creativity because there's so many obstacles to creativity and there's so many different ways to approach creativity that creativity is a mixture of that mindset that is logical and that mindset that is playful. It's almost so, like in your speaking, it makes me think like the way you approach creativity is more about removing obstacles than focusing on increasing your creativity in a way <laughs> like I know, I know maybe that sounds a little bit strange but like the more obstacles you can remove from yourself right it sounds like yeah. creativity naturally arises rather than yeah. focusing on like i need to be a creative person <laughs> yeah you are a creative person creativity is innate it's inherent actually um it's just a matter of learning how to let it out how to work with it so yeah i would definitely i definitely try to what you're saying hmm. It's interesting what you're saying about your projects as well, because when you describe them, you almost like describe them as like um, 
living things. Like 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 the project isn't done, but it, it's like it's still its own being almost. <laughs> and especially yeah, when yeah. you describe how you want magicians to like interact with them, as far as like, because mm -hmm. I don't know, it's not like you're like, oh, it'd be cool to see this move performed. It's almost mm -hmm. like you're describing it as like it'd be cool for people to take this concept and apply it here. So I guess just diving a little bit deeper into that, maybe we could just take these two projects for now, like Silversmith and Voyage. What mm -hmm. when you create these projects, what do you hope? magicians will take out of them yeah um so those two i i released with illusionist and they've been with illusionist for a while now i actually just right. purchased the rights back from them um so i've been i've i've actually been kind of disconnected from them in a bit yeah, but, uh, your first speak, time coming uh, back to them. <laughs> um, I overall like I was really focused on moves and the discovery of new moves and how those can open new doors. So with those, I would love if people took those moves, explored them, and see how they can. Even if you don't do the whole routine, sometimes people are like, "Oh my god, that routine's so hard." I'm like, can you do individual moves in it? They're like, yeah, I can do this move and this move. And I'm like, great. Does it work its way into any of your routines in any way? And then, you know, the, I see the light bulb go off over their head. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of people sometimes don't think in this way, but take take the pieces you like and see if they work into your routine. If you learn a really cool piece of sound manipulation, but you can't do the routine that it was taught and that's okay. Does it does it fit into your points across? Does it fit into this routine, that routine that you're doing? Um, maybe you don't have a full routine yet that you're you're doing. So, but you learned all these different moves. Start looking at can I piece them together? Can I take that coins across and this coins across and mix qualities together until I get something I like? You know, so to play with these things, use them as tools and to also explore them. Like they're not done. Like nothing's done. Like it can always keep growing, and that's I that's think. art, right? My yeah, my wife right. always says that. Always says that about composing. Like when people yeah. ask, like, when do you know when you're done? She's like, art is never done. Like my piece of music is never done. You just right. stop working on it. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's alive. It's very much alive, and uh, can continue to grow. Especially, you know, with art, it's interactive, and there's so many different ways that whatever it is you little piece of life you've created and you know can interact and relate to something else and take on its own new form in that way and it's it's like people you know we, we meet this experience and it changes us mm. in some way you know it's our, our artist has that living quality to it this little piece of life that when you mix it with this it might change in some way so it's mm. it all branches from the human mind but it continues to live through the human mind and uh, as it comes from us it, it keeps a kind of piece of life in it piece of us in it and that part is like that. is still room for creativity and expansion and interaction and relationship there i think that's an important point as well for people that maybe feel intimidated by um starting coin magic or having a look at your work because obviously 
your level of performance is so high, um, people could probably be like, I know a lot of people can be put off. I was put off by coin magic for a while. <laughs> um, but I think it's important what you were saying where it's like, maybe you can't do this routine right now, but you can do this part of the routine. <laughs> so see mm. what you can do with that. Or you can, you can do this move from here and this move from here. So see how that can be pieced together or, or see if there's some sort of link there. I think that's a really crucial thing. Cause it, I mean, it's not like, it's, I mean, it's something that we're really aware of anyway, right? Like, it's not like you read a magic book and learn every single, sometimes you will, right? But it's not often that you'll read a magic book and learn every single routine in there, like back, like memorized, right? right. <laughs> but you will find a few moves and routines that you're like, yeah, this could work here and this could work here, right? I, I think that's, yeah. that's pretty normal yeah. in magic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I guess stepping away from um, those two projects for a second, um, I believe, I'm, I could be wrong in saying this, but I think Amage was Amage your first project yeah. that you made outside of like companies, like outside of Copeland and, yeah. and Illusionist? I, uh, I had a couple of my friends um, at the time come up to Colorado with cameras and film it for me um, and edit it for me. And they did a great job, and uh, I was really excited to release that one because, you know, it's called homage because it's my homage to the coin magic greats, and trying to talk about how their work instead inspired mine, and it, you know, that routine that sorry the project was really focused on presentation more, and these particular artists I felt like had a good sense of presentation and magic and kind of inspired that in me. And those three routines were some of my absolute favorites at the time. And one of them is still like in my top three, top two routines of all time, um, a routine called Unexpected, which not only is a really fun presentation, but uh, the kicker ending on that one is just fantastic <laughs> and uh you do not see it coming because like technically speaking like in terms of the actual method like it's just so deceptive you you just you'd never think that that's what was happening um that's that's very cryptic but i feel like you just gotta go see it <laughs> i mean it's actually <laughs> unexpected the routine isn't it right so yeah the routine is <laughs> that's how it's marketed anyway <laughs> yeah yeah, people loved that routine. I, I, it was so nice to to see people actually work on that one and post it on like Instagram and stuff, which is it's always so nice when you see someone post, you know, their uh, rendition of your work and um, your work. It feels weird to call it my work because it has that quality of continual life, and people right. take it and they make it their own. But you know, your I guess your initial ideas, but. Um, it's, it's fun to see that. It's fun to see people breathe their own life into it. And that was one that I could tell, uh, you know, not only did people tell me they really loved it, but I, I got to see a lot of people come up with their own variations of it and perform it. And that was fun. Hmm. And I guess, uh, how did that feel for you just like personally, business-wise, when you finally like release something to your own audience, you know, with your yeah. own everything? all the money was yours like not in like a greedy way but like you know you got all the all the all the perks yeah. of being a creator 
No, that was huge. I was kind of shocked by like at first when I released Silversmith and Voyage, I was like, oh my god, so I just made so much money. And then after the first month, when these companies stopped um, marketing your effects because they're focused on the new effects, your sales plummet, <laughs> and uh, and they don't market your effects anymore. And right. uh, it's, it's you know, and I marketed my own effects. I marketed it myself for a little bit, but I only had so big of a reach to even do that. And it just kind of made sense to create my own. So um, it was a lot of work um, for everyone, but it was, uh, yeah, it was deeply rewarding to release something on my own and to be able to continue to make money off of it. And then I created the homage package deal, which I just you know, added a bunch of additional content to it, you know, and sold as this little package deal. And uh, that's that's by far one of the, one of the best deals on my site in terms of bang for your buck. Where um, I taught even some even some more fun things around presentation and angles and audience management and the whole whole shebang. Because at that time, releasing my own coin magic project and being able to have the liberty to do it entirely myself how I want it. There's a lot of things I wanted to just talk about that like in a very commercial magic product, they were like, oh no, just teach the routines and just do this. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to talk about this and I want to do this. And I didn't feel like I entirely had that freedom um, with, uh, with my illusionist releases. So with this, I really, you know, did that in homage and I gave a full talk on presentation, but then I felt like, oh, I could add more. So with the homage package deal, I added more. And I had a video on uh, audience management, which is key when you're learning coin work. It's a no good audience management. It'll boost your confidence in doing coin magic immensely. That and the mastering angles class that I added into that as well. Same thing. Uh, but then I threw in a really fun bonus thing that people loved and people kept asking me to teach, which was uh, I eat a jumbo coin. And this is like one of the most visual things I do. And just, destroys people <laughs> love it <laughs> but, um, and uh it's always got me such great reactions and i it's it's one of my favorite things to do so i taught that there too and as well as uh an, an extra little bonus routine but um but yeah with my own project gave came those liberties to like do that you know it's on my store i'm gonna add all these extra things onto it you know and sell it you know it's just yeah, then it really can be more of a living, breathing thing as well, right? As yeah. you, you literally can update it <laughs> and yeah, people can access it. <laughs> exactly, which is what I've been trying to do with, you know, even with my membership, like when you become a member, if you own one of my previous projects, you get access to the bonus material that's associated with that. Because mm -hmm. at times I just come up with new things with these moves, you know, like with Modus, I have this move and I'm like, oh, what if I did this? And took right. that move and did this way. Oh, that's a fun idea. I should add that onto the project. You know, it's like now I can create a little section for it. So, yeah, I keep, I try to keep my projects alive as much as I, I can. Yeah. Or, I think it's well, just I don't even try. They just do it. They, they just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are alive themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting what you were saying as well about um, just, um, the the theory part because it is interesting like you were saying in a lot of like the more commercialized um magic websites that 
a lot of the theory is often like completely overlooked. Um, and that's mm-hmm. something that, like you were saying, when you actually get to create your own projects, you can you can kind of ramble as much as you want, right? <laughs> Not that it's ramblings, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, if there's something you want to talk about, you can talk about it. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that is really different. And especially, I think, is a, is a key feature of a lot of your projects, is they are so, like, theory-rich, um, which makes sense because pretty much everything you're talking about comes from that. Like your moves come from that place of theory, right? <laughs> they come from that place and that they're yeah. like almost born from it. They're not born like you're saying from, well, sometimes they are, but a lot of the time they're born from, like you're saying, the idea, just the idea of sound manipulation. So it's so important that they have this, yeah. this theory behind. Absolutely. Good theory will give you really so much inspiration for creativity and just purpose in your magic in general. But also, theory is to magic as cooking skills are to a recipe. Um, you can be able to perform the slights really well, you know, do the moves and have the dexterity um, and know the slights. And that's like the recipe. But if you're not a very good cook, you know, it's not going to come out. The recipe is not quite enough. You know, right. Your knife skills matter. Your timing matters. You know, the proportions matter. The, the temp all of all of these things in cooking you know matter and can make you know the difference in a meal drastic you know so it's theory is the same way in magic and it's something that's really overlooked a lot of people go out and they they perform but every once in a while you meet a, a good performer who just blows you away um, one for me was uh, eric mead who is just uh, wow I, he can do basic coin slides and fool you with them even as like a seasoned pro i was just like wait where the fuck did that coin go like his hands are like that's this is not possible like you know to me it felt like the three most impossible coin vanishes i'd ever seen until i talked to him afterwards and it's just like oh this is basic ones and it's because it's he understands tension relaxation. He understands presentation. He understands misdirection. He understands these key pieces of theory, and it it brings his magic to life in a way that is just beyond anything you could just learn through just routine slides. I briefly interrupt this podcast to uh, just share a little uh, self promotion with you, if I could. Um, if you're enjoying what you're listening to right now. Um, and you think that maybe you'd enjoy more of our content, uh, please head over to the dailymagician.com slash books. There you'll find 24 classic magic books for free and you'll be signed up for our daily emails where you can hear and get more content just like this. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed so far. And uh, like I said, that's the dailymagician.com slash books. Claim 24 classic magic books for free and you'll also... uh, be getting daily contact from us with more incredible content just like this three two one okay um so i guess kind of moving on in a way um from what we were just discussing um tell me more about um pistol pass and modus i think i, I mentioned pistol pass a little bit like way back at the start of the, the podcast and then I'd love to hear. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, no. I think I, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, all your fault. Yeah. Tell me, yeah. Tell me about them. <laughs> yeah. These, these projects are very move focused, right? They were 
because um, I do love moves. I mean, clearly, I'm really spy typing. But uh, I love creating moves that are really fun, really fun, but also allow you to accomplish something new. And Modus had a handful of those. They were ideas that were completely new, had new principles to them. I talked about creativity within each of the kind of workings of each of those individual slides that I created and how I came to create them. Um, and it's just got a lot of really fun visual moves that you can add to your magic. But in that, I also taught on the neuroscience of building dexterity and practicing and uh, how to efficiently practice in a way where you can get better quicker. And uh, it's as backed by science, as backed by studies, and as the method that I've used to build my dexterity and I've seen uh, amazing results with. So Modus gets into that and teaches some fun moves. The pistol pass is one move with a whole bunch of uses. And the Modus had a, this quality too, where I took the twister vanish and I showed like a bunch of ways to use it. Um, pistol pass is a new type of muscle pass. It's not from classic palm, it's from a different palm. And because it's from a different palm, it opens up new doors. But not only that, it shoots the coin in a different direction in relationship to the hand. And this opens up possibilities that the classic muscle pass can't do. I mean, you could, I could tell you about them if you just watch the trailer for the pistol pass. You'll just, you'll see all these things that can be done with it from a coin to glass to fast, you know, very sudden productions to, ridiculously visual changes um, to amazing, you know, teleporting points that just looks like CGI. And this is one of my absolute favorite things. Every time I get on a call with a magician um, and they ask me to do something, sometimes this is what I'll do because I think magicians want, they just want to see something really quick, you know? Um, magicians like moves. That's why they get in magic. And I was just talking to, um, uh, Kim Anderson the other day from Illusionist. And he says, will you show me that? And I said, yeah, gladly. And I performed it for him. And he's like, oh, shit. He's like, I didn't expect it to look that good, like, on our first try. I, like, I figured, like, you got, like, the ideal shots for your trailer. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, it's always fun to show people. It's a really amazing move once you get it down. And it's not... Like it's, yeah, it's, it's knacky, but it's attainable and you don't need any previous knowledge or skill to do it because no previous knowledge or skill is really going to help you. Um, other than just like general dexterity will definitely help you. But, but yeah, so those both are very move focused and, you know, go into how to use these moves in, in fun ways and add them into your routines because having moves that are visual and deceptive is important. Good presentation is great. But if you have good presentation and your magic is kind of unnatural looking, uh, it's going to take away from the presentation, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the same if you're you have a bad presentation and good moves, you know. So it's a both are both are important. But yeah, that, right. that's that kind of pretty much covers it for those. Optical is another one that's really dives into moves. I actually, also talk about the neuroscience and that, and mm -hmm. but optical teaches three uh, vanishes, and all of which use the retention of vision principle, which is literally why you, when you see 
the flash of light between the fingers and you swear you're seeing it in that hand as that hand's coming away. That's called the retention of vision. And you are actually hallucinating. You are. It has to do with how your brain takes in light and uses that to make adjustments to your pupil. It holds that image in your mind for a bit so that it can make those adjustments, but it's not for very long. And it happens when light changes suddenly in the environment. So your brain has to start to make these adjustments and it freezes the image. So your brain literally is causing you to hallucinate this little focus, this little point of light. And we all know this, like with a camera flash, the camera flash like lingers in your eyes for a bit. It takes you a moment to adjust, even though light travels 1,816,000 miles per second. Is that right? No, I think it's 816,000 miles per second. Sorry, it's not 1 million. I think it's 816,000 miles per second. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the speed of light's really fast. You're not seeing that flash of camera light for three seconds. You know, and it's like, but it can feel like that because of how bright it is in your brain making these adjustments and it holding that image, that brightness. 186,000, yeah. You're bang on. There's 108, it's 186,000. Uh, yeah, it's off. I said 1,160,000. Oh, yeah, yeah but can you correct yourself? I changed to eight sixteen. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, well, you had you, you had the one eight six. It was closer than I. I did <laughs> those three numbers. Yeah. So light travel is one hundred sixty-eight seconds. One hundred eighty-six thousand <laughs> miles per second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, so but so you're manipulating the perception of light, and it's such an amazing thing to learn. Because, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's in the other hand kind of thing that happens to magicians right. all the time. If you have a good retention of vision, you don't have to worry about that. And your technique can suck. Your hands can like flutter and you don't even have like a good retention technique. If you understand the principle of retention of vanish and the timing behind it, this teaches you the drills to master that timing so that you can get that burn of light in the hands make your specters feel like they're seeing that point in the hands as the hands are separating, no matter what retention vanish you're using. So hmm. not only does it teach that principle in immense detail and drills and exercises, I mean, a master class on how to accomplish it. Uh, it also teaches three really, really fun vanishes. Um, one, if you get a chance to watch a trailer on that, there's, there's some really fun vanishes in there that I, I'm really happy with. But yeah, yeah, and then that's optical, which is another kind of move move focused one. Yeah, yeah, that's sick. And I guess the last that just leaves us with uh, with the, the magnum opus, right? The uh, yeah mythos. <laughs> Tell me about mythos. Yeah, mythos is that's it's my magnum opus. That's correct. It's uh, I've been spending you know I spent twenty years now been exactly almost exactly 20 years since I, I started uh, performing magic professionally and I've always been fascinated with what is that state of mind we experience the state of wonder the state of you know awe magic um, astonishment like whatever word you want to use the word can't even fully touch this experience that we all know and love, hence why we got into this art form. What is that state? What's happening in the mind? And I've spent years studying that, not only through meditation and learning how to invoke that state in my own mind, 
but also looking at the actual neuroscience of what is occurring, looking at perception, looking at psychology, and looking at these states of awareness that are conducive to helping a spectator experience that state of wonder. I prefer the choice of word wonder here, but you can use anyone you like, fill in the blank, astonishment, amazement, awe, just magic. <laughs> Um, what is that state? How do we invoke it? What's actually occurring? Why is it so strong sometimes and maybe not so strong other times? Why do some people can be so blown away that they're moved to tears and feel as, like it, it made their month? Or like it pulled them out of a hole, you know? What's occurring there and how can we make that happen for more people? And I spent so many years studying this. I mean, I've been studying it since the start. It's been my fascination because I've been a meditation practitioner since I was also uh, 15 years old. So um, I got into these two things around the same time. And uh, it's been a deep interest of mine. And I finally felt with this project that I had understood it and found a way to teach it. And this project dives into different types of spectators and the ways that they experience a state of wonder or the context and setting that is needed for them to allow themselves to experience a state of wonder. It also dives into presentations and how we write these presentations to invoke these states and the importance of presentation, the importance of its role in creating a space for the spectator to allow themselves to have this experience. Because ultimately, we're just uncovering something that's already there. I'm being a bit ambiguous here um, because it's such a vast topic and there's no little blurb I can take that could really do it justice in any way whatsoever. Um, this is a topic worth studying. And it, it's a collection of talks, but it's also three, is it three or four of my favorite routines. <laughs> and these really are my favorite routines. Four. <laughs> uh, that's right. Cause I always well, better, better, better than more than less, right? So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> these, these really are some of my absolute favorite routines. Not only are they some of my, my hardest hitting pieces of magic that I do, they are just my babies. I mean, they are, they have solid presentations and they create an environment that feels magical. So the spectator can feel like they're in, in the magic that them, rather than, oh, I'm the magician, I do the magic and they're witnessing it. They feel like they're in the magic and how to invoke that to make them feel like they're a part of it, that they're in an environment that is magical and they're as extension, they themselves are too. And I, you can actually see the performance for each of these routines. So, I, I mean, I could go and talk about them, but uh, on the, on my site, when you look at this product, yeah. it's all there. So you can watch them, see what you think for yourself. But yeah, I teach those routines. I break them down in immense detail. I talk about the psychology behind them, why I created them my mindset in creating them and how it fit into this overall view and psychology of understanding what is happening in the spectator's mind to invoke states of wonder. And then on top of that, I give you a full talk on creativity. I 
and how to create. So you're not just left with this ideal of what magic can be, but how to accomplish it. And mm -hmm. again, to the neuroscience of creativity, which is really fun. And overall, I offer you a new mythos, a new way to look at this art form. I talk about the ways that magicians look at this art form, what it means to them, what they think it is, and how that general view, that mythos that we have about this art form can make or break our magic. And that it's important to have the correct view of what this art form is. And unfortunately, there's a culture within magic that uh, has its own mythos. And uh, it's really focused around fooling people. And it's not that we don't fool or deceive people. It's that that can't exactly be the focus. There's a, it gets in the way. And I won't go into too much detail because like I said, all, any piece of this is quite vast in terms of how it all interacts with each other, how it's all interconnected in terms of your own psychological view of it and how that impacts your magic and how that impacts the psychological experience of the spectator. So these talks are something that you'll want to listen to again and again, because they are dense. Um, there's a lot there. And I spent so much time researching, working with spectators, and I mean, testing this understanding again and again and again to come to these realizations. And I've never felt better about releasing a project than this. It felt like I could, I could walk away from magic is how I felt after that. It's like that I could just leave that. I'd be happy. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the mythos. Well, well, I'm not going to add anything to that because I think it was very well surprised and it's not my project either to talk about. <laughs> um, but I guess, to kind of close the podcast up, um, not to, I guess maybe there needs to be like a second of pondering, but it's not often how this sort of media works. But <laughs> uh, I guess to, to close everything up, um, obviously, I guess after hearing all this, it's definitely made me want to go look through all the projects again and <laughs> um, just kind of have a look at everything from start to finish. So I'm sure a lot of the listeners are feeling the same. Um, but I guess this is going to sound a bit weird, but don't buy all of Danny's stuff yet. <laughs> uh, I know the temptation is probably going to be there, um, but we wanted to announce that me and Danny have, have come together. We tried to work out an absolutely amazing deal um, just for the, the, the Daily Magician people. Um, and starting on Monday uh, of, of next week, on the 29th, uh, we're going to start a pretty incredible sale where you can pick up all of Danny's work for a hugely discounted price. Um, it's, it's, just going be, it's going to be really exciting. We're really excited to kind of share this with you. So kind of just hold your horses, chill out for a second, <laughs> let this podcast uh, swirl, I don't know, go around your head and <laughs> listen to it a few more times, I guess, if you're really excited. But just wait until Monday. If you can, if you can't, that's fine. You can go on Danny's site <laughs> and, and pick up his work. That's completely fine. But if you do want to wait until Monday, uh, there's going to be a, a great deal. And that's, 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 that's Monday the 29th. There's going to be a deal that, that goes all, all the way through until um, until um, September September 2nd. 
So if you're listening to it after that time, just go to Danny's site and buy it. But if you're listening to it now, <laughs> uh, while that time, while this offer is still available, yeah, this is just your warning to wait because we got something really cool coming out for you. Anyway, that was really long-winded. Anything else you want to add, Danny, before we close out the podcast? No, and I mean, if you're not familiar with my work at all, go to dannygoldsmithmagic.com. There's some free stuff yeah. there too. So you can go to the free tutorials page and get a taste as, as well of some of my work. Yeah. And if you did enjoy this podcast, um, please leave us a, a rating and review below. And I guess if you didn't enjoy it, you can leave us a rating and tell us what we can do better. Um, but yeah. All that being said, I think we'll, we'll close this out here. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you.